If you would, stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect Word. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Oh God, we pray, even as we hear this verse read, that we would understand what it means for us. We stand here today because you decided to act. You decided to act through a cross and resurrection. God, you have acted through Your Spirit in Your church for thousands of years so that we would stand here today with Bibles in hand declaring it is Your Word to us today. And God, I pray that we would surrender our hearts and our minds to Your Word and and what You would have for us uh, as a new church in a new year as a new people who are, who are made alive by the gospel, by the power of your spirit. God, I pray that we, we would, in light of all you've done, worship you. We would, in light of your incomprehensible love for us that, that we can't even contain in words, we would love you with our lives. We would surrender. We would worship. We would give it all for the sake of the gospel. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. He stared at a man who was pleading on his deathbed for his forgiveness. For most of his life, he didn't even know that he had a dad. And when he finally met his dad, he met an alcoholic who worked him to death and usually finished each day beating him to a bloody pulp. And now my grandfather stood in a VA in Nashville, Tennessee, staring into the face of a man that he hated who was claiming to have found Jesus and was pleading for his forgiveness. And he said, I just couldn't forgive him. And he turned and he walked away as his dad died. That led to years and years of bitterness that turned my grandfather into a very angry, even abusive man himself. My grandmother, though, attended church and prayed for him and pled with him to come to church with her. And one year it came time for their annual revival. And she asked the evangelist of the week and the pastor to go visit my granddad, which in their minds was a very scary thing to do. And when they showed up at his apartment at that time, he met them at the door and screamed at them to get out of here. I know who you are, and I don't have any time for this. To which the pastor handed my grandfather a Bible and said, if you can open up this Bible and show me anywhere in this Bible where we shouldn't be here, we will turn and leave. 
And my granddad's a very arrogant, prideful man, so he jerked the Bible out of his hand. He opened the Bible and began to flip through the pages. And, and the man that I know now, who knows every page of his Bible, stared at this book and said, I have never opened one of these. I have never seen this. I don't know a thing it says. To which the evangelist said, and that's why we're here. And they pled with him to believe the gospel. They pled with him to turn and change his life and follow Christ. And they eventually got him to attend the revival that Tuesday night. And my granddad said, I went in, I slipped in the back, and my intention was to sit in the back and just do what everybody wanted me to do. I was kind of impressed with the courage of these men, so I thought I would give it a try, and I sat in the back, and my intention was to get out. And he said, after the service, when he turned to get out of the pew and walk out of the back, he met the evangelist face to face. He said, I don't know how he got back there that quick, but he met me at the door. And he said, because he started crying, pleading with me to believe the gospel, I decided I was going to go back Wednesday. Sat in the back again. Went back Thursday. And he said, at the end of that service, when I stepped out into that aisle, the years of bitterness toward my own father, the years of sin and rebellion in my own life and, and even anger and impatience in my own life just seemed to, to lift. The burden was gone when I believed in Jesus. And God, God in those moments miraculously saved my life. He said it was a miracle that God would save someone like him. And if there's anybody who's ever been saved, it's that man. I don't even know the man that he talks about before. I think about that moment before I was ever even born. And I think about that's why I'm standing here today. And I think about Jesus acting Jesus deciding to act in my family's life so that a man's life would be radically transformed because of a pastor and an evangelist sitting in his living room pleading with him to believe the gospel. He trusts in Christ and I'm standing here today because Jesus decided to act. And there are stories like that all across this room today. Some of you would recount stories of your grandparents taking you to church, telling you the scripture, your parents making sure you were at church week after week after week, pouring the scripture into your life. Some of you would recount a story of a campus minister meeting you at a coffee shop and pleading with you through a semester to turn from your sin and believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus. Some of you would recount a friend who invited you to church week after week after week and you finally decided to come. There are stories like that all across this room where Jesus in this moment and in these moments and in these events, Jesus is acting. He's acting. And it is our only hope that Jesus acts. And that's what the book of Acts is about. The acts of Jesus in the life of the church. 
and all of these stories that we would recount here today that, that we would be here for weeks and months just talking about how Jesus has acted in our life. They fit into this one amazing cosmic story that begins in the book of Acts. Notice verse 1, we see, first of all, Jesus acts through the spirit of sonship. Notice verse 1, Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke, a doctor, he writes the book of Acts. A doctor was more of a servant type role in those days. And and Luke traveled with the Apostle Paul. And he writes to a man, Theophilus, which means lover of God. And this seems to be a man who wanted to know more about Jesus. He wanted to know more about his life. And he wanted others to know more about Jesus. And so he is paying for Luke to write two books, which is one book, which begins in the Gospel of Luke. Acts is part two of a two-volume set that Luke writes to recount, first of all, he says here, all that Jesus began to do and teach, the life of Jesus, all that he began to do and teach. Luke is about the inbreaking of the kingdom through the Spirit in the life of Christ. And now we get to the book of Acts. And he says, I wrote to you, first of all, of all Jesus began to do. And now what Luke is going to do in Acts is right about all Jesus is still doing. And so Luke and Acts fit together as an evangelistic book that points to Jesus and says, I want the world to see all Jesus has done in His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, and now all He is doing in the church so that you would see Jesus acting and you would trust in Him and believe in Him. And notice he says, verse 2, until the day He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. Now here, we we, we see reference to the ascension, which is vitally important throughout the book of Acts. The ascension of Christ should be vitally important to the church. We emphasize cross, and we emphasize resurrection. And so often we forget to emphasize ascension. But Jesus right now has been taken up And Acts tells us He is at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. All that He began to do until He is seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. That is who we serve. And notice, after, before His ascension, He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. Here we see in the very beginning a handing off of the authority through the Holy Spirit to the disciples, to the apostles. And this refers here to the Great Commission. He's handing off to them a task, but He's also handing off to them through the Holy Spirit a command to reach the nations. He's saying, I have displayed my authority in my life, death, resurrection. I'm going to be ascended and I'm going to give you my authority. And that authority is displayed as you obey this command to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We see that at the end of Matthew. We see that at the end of Luke and Mark. And notice during this time, verse 3, he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. There seems to be a time after the resurrection, 40 days, where Jesus is presenting himself as a former corpse. 
One who was dead. Who is back from the grave. Declaring to His disciples, I am king over the grave. I am king of the cosmos. Listen to me. Carry out these commands to the end of the earth. And it says here He was speaking of the kingdom of God. He is latching all He has done, all He is commanding them to do, to His resurrection and to the authority of His kingdom. And then we get to verse 4 and it says, And while staying with them. Literally, this means eating with them. I always enjoy thinking about that. That Jesus, a former corpse, takes the time to eat with His disciples. Isn't that amazing? That He would choose to do that simple thing? I mean, you were just raised from the dead. Do you really need to eat? And yet, He says, this is what resurrection is about. You know what He's saying? This is about fellowship. I was raised from the dead to fellowship with you. Let's eat fish. Let's eat fish. One of my girls said this week, all Jesus ever ate was wine and bread. No, it wasn't just wine and bread. But he eats with his disciples here to declare, this is what this is about, to be united in fellowship. And he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital city. It represents the the capital city of God, the, the place of hope where the throne of God would be. And he tells them to go there and wait for the promise from the Father, which he says, you heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but I baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He refers here to the promise of the Father, which he explains is the very Holy Spirit. The word spirit means wind or breath. And Holy Spirit means the set apart presence of God that's everywhere like wind or breath that is divine and holy and righteous and is set apart in this holiness as to become its own person. And so we want to say at the beginning of Acts, the Holy Spirit isn't this force. The apostles aren't sitting around saying, may the force be with you. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. It is a person set apart as the presence of God that makes all things happen, that created all things, that sustains all things. And what Jesus promises here is you, by the promise of the Father, will be baptized by this person. His personal presence will be so intertwined with you. You won't be able to tell yourself from Him apart. That's what baptism means, to be plunged under, to be immersed, to be intertwined together. And what Jesus said to them, I'm going away, but I will send you even something better than my physical bodily presence. I'm going to send you my my, my presence in the form of the Spirit. And He refers here to this, Promise of the Father. Promise of the Father. And he makes mention of John here. He makes mention of the ministry of John. John was at the Jordan River baptizing a people in water, immersing them under, which symbolized a new people, a people being made new. And Jesus comes down to John at the Jordan River and says, I need to be baptized by you. And John says, that doesn't make any sense. 
And Jesus says, yeah, it is to fulfill all righteousness. It is to declare that He will be immersed in the the wrath of God for us and He will be raised up and He will create a new kingdom for us. And what do we see when Jesus is baptized? The Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and you hear a voice from heaven that says, Behold, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And what Jesus is saying here, remember that scene down at the Jordan when the Spirit descended upon me and the voice from heaven said, This is my Son. The same thing is going to happen to you. The Spirit is going to come and rest upon you and declare to you this promise in the gospel, you are my son. And what Jesus is pointing here to is this work of the Spirit, this promised work of the Spirit, that that the Spirit won't just rest on one person, but the Spirit will rest on a people, and the Spirit will say to the people, you are my son. You are my people. You are a family. That's why we think of the work of the Spirit. And Jesus calls the Spirit the promised comforter. What does that mean? The Spirit walks with us and comforts us with the promise, you are a child of God. You have the Spirit living within you, declaring to you the truth of your adoption. That's why the Spirit is called the, the Spirit of Adoption. He assures you of your security through the cross, through the resurrection, through the ascendant Lord Jesus Christ. You are sons of God. And what Jesus says is, I'm going to do that for a whole people. I'm going to do that here in creating the church. Together as the church, the Spirit says to us, you are sons. You are a family. This is why in the New Testament when Paul talks about quenching the Spirit in the life of the church... It's not just when you're, you're singing a worship song and someone spills their coffee. And you look over at them, why did you quench the Spirit? That's, that's not quenching the Spirit, that's being clumsy. <laughs> quenching the Spirit in the life of the church is causing disunity, division. is disrupting the Spirit's uniting together a family of sons to do the work of the ministry in the world. That's what quenching the Spirit is. But but, but the work of the Spirit is to indwell a people and form families all over the globe that declare, yes, we have been adopted by the Father in the Son. We are sons. And so Jesus says, when you see this coming... When you see the coming preaching of the gospel and believing of the gospel and the Spirit resting on people in amazing ways, what you are seeing is Jesus acting. And we've seen it here this morning. We we saw it this morning as we came together and we said we're going to be a family together and we're going to live and we're going to serve and we're going to do ministry together as a family in the world. This wasn't just some sort of social gathering, let's go through the rites of a ceremony as we begin. No, we were declaring our sonship by the very Spirit of God and what we saw this morning was an act of Jesus. Jesus was acting. And we see it all throughout the week as we live together in unity as a church family. We see it when the Word is preached, the Spirit comes down and He trains us how to live as sons in light of the Word of God. We've seen it this morning as we have sung together as a family. 
The, the spirit of sonship within us is calling out to one another, reminding one another of the gospel. I look across the room and I see my brothers declaring the gospel. I see my sisters declaring the gospel. And they remind me by the Spirit of God of the sonship that I have in Christ. That is a resting. That is a working of the Spirit in the life of the church. It's not just some sort of perfunctory thing that we have to do week after week to say we're a church. No, that is Jesus acting. When your Bible fellowship gathers around around you and prays for cancer that you've been diagnosed with and they hold your hand to the very end as brothers and sisters, that's, that's not something that's just natural to do. No, that is the Spirit of God resting on a family called the church. And that's what we see Jesus is promising here. A royal family. A cosmic family that the Spirit will rest on and create. And we see it all over the world. Some churches that get today gathered in very beautiful, ornate buildings. Some of them gathered in caves. And yet we see families all around the world and we see Jesus acting. And here's the point. As you read through the book of Acts... If you lose sight of the cosmic work of the Spirit here and around the world, you're going to become small and you're going to become petty and this is all going to be about you. But if you look on this and go, Jesus is acting, this is amazing, this is the cosmic galactic Lordship of Christ and His Spirit resting here and you're amazed by it, guess what you're going to say? I'm going to be all in for that. I'm all in for that. Jesus is acting and I'm all in. And notice the disciples here are all in. Verse 6, we see next, Jesus acts through the church's testimony. When they had come together, they're eating and they hear this promise of the Spirit. Notice the first question they ask. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now that question makes perfect sense. I know in some of our Bible studies, we just ridicule. What are they thinking? No, that makes sense. If Jesus just told me we're all going to be sons and we're all going to rule and reign with you by the Spirit, I'm saying, okay, let's set up shop. I mean, you're back from the dead. The gang's all here. Let's do it. I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? In light of what he just said. But notice, he says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All of this, verses 7 and 8, points to the Father's sovereignty in the life and mission of the church and our passivity. Notice, first of all, the Father fixed. The word there means to determine, to set in stone so that these things are immovable. God has fixed the times and seasons in which the Spirit will be poured out. God ordained the time when Jesus would be crucified, that He would be raised from the dead, that He would ascend to the right hand of God. All of this is the Father's fixing. It's immovable by His own authority. And then He says, you will receive. This is passive. You will be graced with the Spirit. You don't work up the Spirit within you. God gives it to you and you receive it. 
And notice he calls the Spirit power. This is literally, we get our word dynamite from this word. It is unstoppable. It is explosive. The power of God will come on you in the person of the Spirit. Again, it will come on you. You are passive. And then you will become something. You will become witnesses. All of this emphasizes God is doing this. And so as we stand around as a church and we go, wow, look how great we are. We're missing the point. No, we stand around and go, look how Jesus is acting. Look how great Jesus is. The Father is doing all of this. This isn't something we would want to do or we could do in and of ourselves. He, by His power and His authority, is setting His church aside in the world. And we see here, the sovereign spirit's goal is not to create a sweet, sweet spirit in the church. That's not the goal. What is the goal? You receive power to become witnesses. The presence of the Father is a promise that is tangible inside the believer that comes out their mouth that they talk about. The word witness here means to bear testimony. It means to state truth about something. It means to stand. It means to stand on the stand and say, Jesus is Lord of the universe, cosmic ruler of all things. The Spirit comes within you with that promise so that you declare it. That's the power of the Spirit within you. The the same power that rested on Jesus as He cast out demons, as He healed the sick, as He spoke to creation and it obeyed, as He raised a man from the dead, as He hung on a cross, as He was raised from the dead, as He's ascended to the right hand of God, the same Spirit rests on you to give you power to say the truth about Jesus. So when you're at Purdy's and you're you're witnessing to your friend and you're nervous because it's awkward, Because every Christian you know goes to Purdy's and they've already spoken to you. And your friend is like, why are we here? Well, I think I know why we're here. And it's awkward. The Spirit within you empowers you to speak truth. As you're in Awana and you're you're talking to that child who who is full of self-righteousness because they've been to church their whole life and they got badges everywhere and trophies everywhere for Jesus. You say, let me tell you something. Those trophies won't get you to heaven. And you push through. It's this power of the Spirit causing you to tell the truth about Jesus. As you knock on that door in New Orleans, and the guy comes to the door half-dressed. And you're thinking, what in the world am I going to do here? And the Spirit empowers you to plead with Him to believe the Gospel. That is the work of Jesus in the life of the church. That is Jesus acting in the life of the church. The Spirit pushes us through those awkward moments. The Spirit pushes us reminding Jesus is King and the only way of salvation. It is the Spirit's power that causes us to witness. But also when He talks about witness here, notice He says it's not just you are doing something. Notice you will be something. Not just doing something, you become something. Literally, the church here becomes the announcement to the world that you can be forgiven of your sins and if you believe in Jesus, you will reign with Him forever. The church is that announcement. And so when you think about missions and evangelism, it's not a task. It's not a program. We have those things that help us. 
But ultimately, missions and evangelism is your identity wherever you are. You shall be witnesses. That is who you are. You are the signposts of the kingdom no matter where you are. Some of you here today are frustrated with your identities, your roles in the world. And it's because you've lost sight of ultimate identity as witness. And you're trying to find satisfaction in temporary identity, roles and responsibilities. All God has given you wherever you are is to be folded into that identity as witness. As a parent, you are to witness the love of God to your children through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why God gave you those blessings so that you would pour the gospel into them and be witnesses. That is your primary role as a parent. As a spouse, you are to reflect the gospel through dying for your wife, through respecting and trusting your husband's leadership. You are a reflection of the gospel. That is your primary role in a marriage. And if you begin to think it's about self-fulfillment, if you begin to think it's about your reputation, you will become miserable because that's not why that role exists. That role exists to witness the lordship of Jesus Christ. Some of you are miserable at work because you, you, you think it's about the name on the door. You think it's about the money. No, God has given you that role to witness the gospel, to harness resources for the sake of the kingdom and to say Jesus is Lord over every cent that I have, over every dime this company makes. Jesus is Lord. And it is to, it is to reflect and point and display a greater kingdom. But notice... The witness here is collective. The, the you is plural. It is the collective witness of the church. Throughout Acts, we're going to see this. Some of you are getting fired up about Acts. Tongues and visions and ships that are wrecking and snakes biting. And this is amazing, and it should be amazing. One of the problems I have with missions is we've talked about missions more like Mr. Rogers than Indiana Jones. Missions is exciting. It's going to be great. We're going to talk about it throughout the book of Acts. But it's full of signs and wonders. And the main sign in Acts, we can't miss it, is the church. The church is the main sign. The church all over the world, all kinds of people gathering together saying Jesus as Lord. But notice the church here, it's multicultural. It begins in Jerusalem, the capital city. The rule and reign of God is supposed to happen there. In Judea, the outer regions, the country folks. In Samaria, we begin to see the church becomes multicultural. The shunned pagan folks to the very ends of the earth. And that's to sum up and say all areas, all kinds of people in all kinds of places will make up this witness. In Acts, we see Jews in Jerusalem. In Acts, we, we see mountain folks. We see island folks. In Acts, we, we see poor folks. We see rich folks. We see jailers. We see governors. We see religious terrorists. Paul, who was once Saul. And they're all saying Jesus is Lord. The church is to be multicultural and it is to expand all over the globe. We want to be as diverse as we possibly can. Not just as diverse as Richmond. We want to be diverse as we possibly can here. This should be the most diverse place in Richmond. Black, white, brown, everything in between. We, we want it here. 
and we don't become colorblind as a church. We're not colorblind. No, we say, look at all the differences. And we hold them up and we say, Jesus is Lord over all people. And we're going to witness that here. And we want to be different. We want to have folks who are weird. We want to have computer geeks. We want to have stay-at-home moms. We want to have homeschoolers, public schoolers, no schoolers. We want them all here. We want them all here. And we want them all saying Jesus is Lord. We want all kinds of parenting styles. All kinds of ways in which you feed your kids in all kinds of places. We want it all here. And we want to look around and say Jesus is Lord over all of this all of the time. It's, we won't come in and go, how in the world did this collage of people come together? I mean, I went to high school with you and you're standing beside this man singing this song. This is weird. And we say, yeah, amen, Jesus is Lord, and I would hate Him except for Jesus. That's what we want, is that if it weren't for Jesus, you would despise the person you're next to, because that displays the authority of the Spirit. we got a lot to do today, but I love this book. So we also see here it's diverse and it's expanding. We, we don't create a place in Jerusalem with walls that are impenetrable. We're, we're not a secure fort. We are a wartime aircraft carrier that's constantly moving and sending out mission planes around the world. We don't want to just spread because it's adventurous or we want to stamp Ashland all over the place. No. We want to reach more people because we want every square inch there be somebody saying Jesus as Lord. That's what we want. We want to spread the gospel. And by the way, the church that doesn't do that, the church that says, we're just going to show up and sing songs and go home and just be status quo, they end up dying. Because that's not their identity. Our identity as a church is to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. So we haven't come to the end of something today. We're just getting started. We are just getting started today because we're not going to shrivel up and die because we're lazy and we want status quo Christianity. We're going to keep asking, what is the next thing we can do for Jesus? Where is the next place we can go for Jesus? Notice verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted on a cloud out of their sight. Now, Again, notice the passive language here. It's just more passive language with the disciples. They're standing there shell-shocked. Like, oh my word. There's more left to do? There's more to come? And we see this moment, and, and in a lot of our minds, we think Care Bears. He's just lifted on a cloud. and we're This was a cosmic earth-shattering moment where the King of Glory is enthroned at the right hand of God. The earth probably shook. And notice, as they're standing there, passive, gazing, this is what we all would have been doing, two men in white robes, probably angels, said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking? Why are you so passive? Why are you so passive? This Jesus who was taken up from you will come again in the way that you saw Him and go into heaven. He's asking them, why are you still standing here? 
Have you ever done that with your kid? You give them instructions. Look at me. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to clean our room today. We're going to pick those remotes up off the floor. We're going to get our baseball stuff out for tomorrow. Then you're going to help your mother clean the kitchen. Why are you still looking at me? Get to work. That's what's going on here. He says, after you've heard this and you've seen this, you men of Galilee, common, backwoods, called out. Now you have the Spirit of God that's going to come upon you. Now you've been given your commission. Why are you still standing here looking? And, and, and let's admit, we would all do that. We would all be still standing there. As a matter of fact, we would say, let's plant a church here and stay here. If he's going to come here, let's try to figure out when, where. Let's write books about the timing. Let's start making DVDs and animated vegetable cartoons about how this is going to happen. Let's stay here and let's worship here, right here, to the end of time until he comes back because I don't want to miss it. That's what we all do. But what the... What the what the men, the messengers here are saying, no, all of this has been given to you to go. You have an absolutely unshakable hope. Why would you stand around and do nothing? Get after it. You have a, you have a visual of the promise that's going to come. He's going to bust the sky open and come down and rule and reign. Let's go. Let's get after it. The vision here is a call to go and die knowing you will be raised from the dead. That's what the book of Acts is all about. The word martyr, that we talk about someone who died for their faith, it's actually the same word as witness here. Just to tell the truth. But so many people left this scene in Acts, and throughout the history of the church, they've died for their faith. We use it as someone who's died for their faith. So when we say to one another, we want to be witnesses, what we're saying to one another is we're willing to die to say Jesus is Lord. And we've seen the coming of the kingdom. Let's go and let's get after it. Our story as Christians is as a church is not survival mode. Let's never get into that. Where we're just trying to survive and, and just trying to get by. Why would we do that? We have everything we need to live in this world with hope and to reach as many people as we want with the gospel. We have it all. We have the Word and we have the Spirit that indwells us. The point here is get after it. Jesus hasn't died and been raised from the dead and given us the Spirit to just stockpile here and to just be safe and just to be secure and to waste it. He hasn't given it all to us to waste. What a waste it would be to just stand and stare at the sky and die. It's not who I want to be. So often I think about these words of my granddad when he shares his testimony with me. He said this to me over and over. He gets to the end and he says, if I would have known then what I know now, I would have lived every day for Jesus. That's what he said. And, and his point to me is, you don't waste it. You live every day for Jesus. I think about that most every day. 
You see on the screen, on our graphic we have for our sermon series, in the background, you know who those folks are? Those are the charter members of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in 1916. 30 members who gathered together. They were commissioned by First Baptist Church in Lexington to plant a church. And they gathered in a schoolhouse. And from that moment on, sometimes they didn't have enough money to pay the bills. You know what some of them did? They took out mortgages on their house so their church could pay the bills. There was a time when they were adding a section to one of the buildings they were in. The church didn't have the money to do it. And a group of men just went out and got the bricks and started doing it themselves. They've sent missionaries all over the world, Africa, sent missionaries to South America, sent missionaries to the ends of the earth. They sent missionaries to Richmond, Kentucky. And that's the story that we're in. Their story continues in this moment. And I imagine as we look at that picture, what if they knew then what we know now? What if they knew then what we know now? They would have probably said, we would have given more. (laughs) We would have served harder. We would have sacrificed more. Because we see that God has acted, Jesus has acted through our feeble nothingness. (laughs) And look what He's done all around the world. Look what He's done in Lexington. Look what He's done... In Richmond, look what he's done in New Orleans. Look what he's done in Peru. Look what he's done in Africa. Look what he's doing in China. We have missionaries all around the world because they said, hey, let's get together, love Jesus, and reach the world with the gospel. And Jesus still acts. See, the truth is, we know now what they didn't know then. And in the book of Acts, we see what Jesus can do with fishermen and carpenters and prostitutes religious terrorist who hate his name, he saves and he reaches the world with the gospel. We see all of that and we look at it and in no way are we going to be status quo. Now we're going to see that. We're going to say, no, I'm all in because Jesus is acting. 